thank you. It's a real pleasure for us to be with you today and to, uh, to visit you. You know, one of the things I think that people say is, you know, what does it take to become a doctor? Um, and it's, I guess, one of the things that we're supposed to focus on, but I can uh, tell you that just what it takes is a lot of years and focus. And I can also tell you it's one of the most wonderful professions that anybody could ever have because we're given an opportunity to enter people's lives in a very, very dramatic fashion, almost on a daily process. And sometimes we forget that, to be quite honest with you. I understood that to some extent, but what I'm going to tell you today is about what I think is more than just medicine. It's how to each of us in this audience and each of us in our own lives, each of us in this world, use their talent, if you would, to a higher calling. And how do we take the things that we've gained through our schooling and through our work and through our experience to literally see if we can change the face of the world? The very first time that I became knowledgeable of this, to be quite honest with you, was back in 1981. As has been said, I took a trip to the Philippines. To be quite honest with you, it was for more narcissistic reasons. I was a young plastic surgeon. I'm still a young plastic surgeon. I'm just a little younger. And I was given the opportunity to take care of children with deformities, and I wanted to do that because I wanted to perfect my skills. But what I saw really changed the course and the direction of my life and my family's life, my values, and I believe our purpose in life. If you and I were to travel to a developing country tomorrow, we would see a lot of beautiful children. We would take pictures of them, we would go home, and people would say, well, what about the need? What about the poverty? We would say it's everywhere. It's in Washington, it's in Norfolk, Virginia, it's in New York. But what I had a chance to see in about an hour plane ride south of Manila were literally 300 kids and their parents who were lined up waiting for us. Every one of those kids with a gaping hole in the lip and the roof of their mouth. They couldn't eat or speak an intelligible word. Every one of their parents came up and was tugging at our sleeve and saying, please take care of my child. And yet we could only take care of 40 kids that first year at that site and had to watch as over 250 were sent away. The lady who was the head of the hospital said, could you please come back five years from now or 10 years from now because these kids will still be here They'll just be five or 10 years older. The team we were with wasn't planning on going back. And so Kath, my moral compass, kind of said on the way back, we've just got to go back, we've got to take care of them. So we'll get together a group of our friends, we'll go back, we'll take care of these kids, the world will be wonderful, our guilt will be ridden, and then we'll just go back to our lives as usual. We started to see that we could take a kid like this and in 45 minutes that could be that same child. And we started to realize that by taking care of that child, we took them literally from death to life because they were hidden in shame. By changing that child's life, we changed the family's life. By changing the family's life, we changed the village's life. By changing the village's life, we were able to change our country's life. And basically, through children, if they're really our hope for the future, and if we know how to solve their problems, we have to say, why aren't we doing it? Because it doesn't seem that we shouldn't be doing it. But none of us can do it by ourselves. There was a child here from Columbia, South America, the coffee growers who had sponsored us put out word in the coffee plantations with any child with a cleft lip or cleft palate come forward. They didn't think there were many kids there. The day of the screening, 500 kids came at us. We took care of uh, 160 kids, watched 340 go home. This child is this child a year later coming back to get his palate fixed so that he can speak normally. 
But what's happened since the time that we left there? Well, since the time we've left there, surgeons all over Colombia this year are doing 24 missions into their rural areas when they didn't even know these kids existed before. Not because they were insensitive, just because these people are hidden. Over 160,000 kids each year are born like this, but hardly anybody knows about it. And in a world where we have so many complex problems, what if we just put our talents together and said, why don't we solve this simple problem? Why don't we bring kids from death to life? There are many stories that I could tell you. One is of a 35-year-old man whose mom brought him in to see us. She said, could you help this fellow? He's never had a social day in his life. I took him back under a window and with some Novocaine, like you would in a dental office, took care of his lip. And 45 minutes later, walked him back to his mom. She said, that's not my son. I said, well, of course it's your son. She said, no, it's not. So I took a mirror out of my pocket that I had and I showed it to him and when I did, he began to cry. Try to imagine what it would be like to go through 35 years of your life to never whistle. Imagine what it would be like to go through 35 years of your life and to never feel a gentleness of a kiss because someone didn't have 45 minutes for you. If I were to walk up to any one of you tomorrow and I were to be this man, I would say, you know, would you give me 45 minutes of your life, and if you do, you'll change my life forever? Which one of us would say, sorry, 45 minutes of our life is too valuable? If we were to spin a roulette wheel today, what would be the chances that you and I would be born who we are and where we are? Or what would be the chances we'd be born in a rice paddy, planting rice and plowing fields? The overwhelming chances we would be in that rice paddy. And if, in fact, that's the case, then what's our responsibility for being given the gifts that we've been giving? The only thing that I can think of is to use those gifts in the service of other people. We've had the privilege and the honor through Operation Smile to meet the presidents of many countries of the world. But I can tell you the people from whom I've learned the most have been the peasants of the world. Every country I go to, whether people are Muslims or Jews or Christians or Buddhists, whether they're black, white, Asian, Latino, they're all the same. The basis of every religion that I've seen is based on faith, hope, and love, and I've learned that through peasants. There was this man, Edison Silla, who came to see me one day in the Philippines, and it was one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen. He wore a red garbage bag over it to collect the serum that was dripping into it. And I said to him, why haven't you committed suicide? And he calmly looked at me and started telling me about the story of Job and the Bible and how God had taken away Job's home and his possessions and put sores all over his body to test his faith. He said, I know God's testing my faith, and if I continue to believe in God, God will find somebody to help me. Through Edison Silla, I've learned about faith. There was a lady who came to see us, Soledad Fernandez, who had a 37-pound tumor hanging off the side of her face. Her husband had died the year before of tuberculosis, and she had three kids under 20 years old. She heard a team of American doctors was coming to help, and so she walked the 18 miles, being able to sit or stand only three minutes at a time. We operated on her, took off that tumor. She now comes back every year to help us with children who come into that same hospital. Through Soledad Fernandez, I've learned about hope. And through over 50,000 kids around the world, I've learned about love. Because love, by definition, is self-sacrifice. Love is a decision 
to make someone else's problem your problem. All of you will come to a time in your life when everything that you set out to accomplish has been accomplished. And then you have a very, very important decision to make. What do you do next? I can tell you that if you take your talent and combine it with talent of your friends and go to the people in your corporations and go to the people in the political specter and go to the everyday people and go to the students, because we take two high school students with us on every trip, and go to your community and combine your talents together and help other people that your entire life will expand. Every one of us has a talent. And if we use that talent properly, we can change not only the face of these type of children, but if you look at the despair and the anguish in the eyes of that mother, you will see that the person maybe that we change the most is the family. And as I said, once we change the family, we change the community. As we change the community, we change the country. If all of us working together with our talents, from corporations all over the world, from political leaders all over the world, from medical people, from high school students, from teachers, from every facet of life, if we work together, I truly believe that we can change the face of the world one smile at a time. Thank you, and let me introduce to you my moral compass, my wife, Kathy. Uh, we wanted to leave a few minutes for questions, but I just want to let you know that we, uh, through our own children, actually learned of your talents, of your motivation, uh, your spirit. And so we have high school students on all our teams, university students, medical students, and um, we have really respected what you know um, and just things that you learn every day that we're you know, not learning. And so you are really our future, and so we place you all on our teams. We have interns, and it's a very young group of people, really, that change the lives of children. So um, I just leave you with that, and what my, just to add what my husband said, your talents you'll be able to use, and you, you, you'll be able to learn a lot in the next four years. Just think about using that to serve others. And I'll just leave you with one quote Margaret Mead has said, let us not think that a small group of people can make a difference. It is the only thing that ever has. Thank you. We'll be glad to uh, answer any questions that you might have. Yes. Um, I don't have any moral questions or anything. I'm just curious, what's your rate of success? Because, I mean, the things that are shown are amazing. How often does it turn out that well? Um, it turns out that well most of the time. You know, in 45 minutes, you can do that. But if you go to school for 17 years with me, I'll teach you how to do it. Um, and I think the key is is that, you know, through education and through the things that, that you do every day, you get very good at it. And if you do it a lot, you get better at it. And I personally have taken care of over 3,000 children with clefts. And so it's a routine for me, if you would, in a way. But the thing that's never a routine 
is the watching the reaction of families once you help them. I think also that we build teams in these countries. We, do, we don't just come in there and just do it. We build teams with those countries, and we're all around the world now, and those countries follow up with their people. So we're back and forth, but they're on the ground every day. And so really, it's a big family all over the world. Thank you. Hi, my question is, um, I know uh, in the United States, a medical education uh, takes a good portion of your life, uh, but uh, I was asking, uh, my question is, do you feel that it's necessary to go through all of the education that uh, is required? Because, I mean, it seems like such a large part of your life, just, you know, if you really want to serve. Let me tell you, you can start serving tomorrow. Uh, that's not a problem. But you're young right now, and, and I tell her, we have five children, and I've told each of my kids, is get all the education you can when you're young. You know, I, I, I was in school till I was 35 years old, basically. And 17 years after high school, I was, I was in my training. But when you're young, you can do anything, absolutely anything. And I tell my kids, you know, if, if you work from when you're 35 to when you're 65, who wants to work more than 35 years anyway or 30 years anyway, you know? Enjoy the time that you can, that you have the freedom to go around and get educated and travel the world. And, uh, you know, I've studied in France and Germany and in England and Scotland and, and travel places, and it's only augmented my life. And don't worry about the years now. And while you're going through those years, just keep a great sense of humor. We went to uh, Paris, France to study. Kath was pregnant with our fifth child, and we had four kids, five and under. And that didn't stop us from having a wonderful six months studying in Paris, France. One more question. Yeah. One more question. Hi, my name is Ben Krause. I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, as you spoke, uh, the religions of the world all really do share the common, common theme. And those religions are strong in our country. And at the same time, our country controls such a vast amount of the wealth in the world. And yet, it seems that we are the most selfish people in the world. Do you have any? Well, you know, I don't, I don't, I guess I just don't look at the world from that way. I see wonderful people everywhere, both in our country and around the world. A lot of people talk about corporations and this and that. I've never had a problem going to major, major corporations and asking them to help us with things. I think it's more the fact that you have to be willing to take a personal touch. There's American groups everywhere that are sharing with people everywhere. But that's not to say that we do enough. None of us do enough. And I think the key is to incorporate in your life just on an everyday basis, and you and your buddies, to go out, put a hand on another person's shoulder, and see what you can do as an individual. And through your, your motivation and through your example, show your friends that it's fun to help other people. And as you someday get to be one of your corporate leaders, to make sure that you carry that philosophy. There's a book called Built to Last that you all should read about the 18 most powerful visionary companies in the world. And the one common mo thing that, that meant all of them had was that, that they, put, they put some something ahead of profit in their company that was more important than profit, that was more altruistic, that was more towards helping people. Every one of those visionary companies did it. So it's profitable to be kind, and it's profitable to be helpful. And all of you have incredible talent. It's how you ultimately use that talent that will create change in the world. Thank you. I think also it's exposure. I, I think we only see a certain part of what goes around the world from media. And we're in Gaza. We're in Hanoi. These are real people with religions, with caring of their families. They're not terrorists. They're not. And so we have to learn to open up our minds. And then we, I think we'll be able to share that wealth.